The talk you are about to hear is by Zen teacher Sensei Amala Wrightson. Master Hakuin's chant and praises are Zen. From the very beginning all beings are Buddha. Like water and ice, without water no ice, outside us no Buddhas. How near the truth, yet how far we seek. Like one in water crying, I thirst. Like a child of rich birth, wandering poor on this earth, we endlessly circle the six worlds. The cause of our sorrow is eager delusion. From dark path to dark path we've wandered in darkness. How can we be free from birth and death? The gateway to freedom is Zazen Samadhi. Beyond exaltation, beyond all our praises, the pure Mahayana. Upholding the precepts, repentance and giving, the countless good deeds and the way of right living all come from Zazen. Thus one true Samadhi extinguishes evils. It purifies karma, dissolving obstructions. Then where are the dark paths to lead us astray? The pure lotus land is not far away. Hearing this truth, heart humble and grateful, to praise and embrace it, to practice its wisdom, brings unending blessings, brings mountains of merit. And when we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, we go beyond ego and past clever words. Then the gate to the oneness of cause and effect is thrown open. Not two and not three, straight ahead runs the way. Our form now being no form and going and returning we never leave home. Our thought now being no thought, our dancing and songs are the voice of the Dharma. How vast is the heaven of boundless samadhi. How bright and transparent the moonlight of wisdom. What is there outside us? What is it we lack? Nirvana is openly shown to our eyes. This earth where we stand is the pure lotus land, and this very body, the body of Buddha. <clears throat> the 
This is the fourth day of our five-day winter-spring online session. It's the 25th of August, 2020. And we're going to continue uh, reading from Shattering the Great Doubt, the Chan Practice of Huato by Chan Master Shen Yin, uh, continuing from where we left off yesterday. Master Shen Yin speaking. And these, these talks are um, transcribed from a, a seven-day Chan week. People haven't already gathered that. So he says, Today I encourage Venerable Guo Jun to push you folks harder Perhaps one of you, upon hearing him roar, what is Wu, may respond by suddenly shattering your great ball of doubt. Depending on whether this shattering is great or small, you may or may not experience wisdom, but even a glimpse of wisdom can be considered a kind of enlightenment. Um, what Master Yin is, is reminding of, us of here is that um, there are uh, degrees of uh, enlightenment. Roshi Kaplow used to um, distinguish between kensho, which, which means literally, literally seeing the nature, and um, satori, which he reserved for uh, deep awakening. Actually, the, there is another Japanese t term for deep awakening, um, daigo tette, which means um, great satori that reaches to the ground. Dai, great, go, satori, tete, the ground. And it's lovely to have this, this, um, this earth image here. Um, a thoroughgoing enlightenment that, that goes all the way to the, to the ground. Mostly um, what people have is kensho and, and a glimpse, a little glimpse into the, the, the non-dual world, the world of emptiness. But even if awakening comes in in different degrees, all of the same nature, and and they transform the way that we relate to things. Even even a little glimpse can do this. Um, Yesterday, Roshi used to use the analogy of of a large room with just one picture window on one side and if you imagine that, that that big plate glass window is is grimy so that no light gets into that room even if you just make a small if you clean away just a small circle from that that grimy window 
the light will get in and it will transform one's experience of, of the room. The room will now be seen to some degree, whereas before, <coughs> in pitch black, it wasn't. So the, the effect of an insight can make a qualitative difference to our experience. What these glimpses can do is to is is just strengthen our faith a little, and and our our, our conviction um, in the value of of the the process of the of the practice, even when it's difficult. So one one can work with with that, that greater kind of um, confidence, having had some, some glimpse of the truth, the non-dual truth we're talking about here. says, whatever your state, if your practice is grounded in Mu, you will always find your way back to Mu. Grounded in Mu, you can gain an entry wherever you may be. All states are opportunities to practice. What does he mean by gain entry? I think he's talking about being able to find our way back to um, wholehearted participation in life rather than alienation. We can, we can get into a state of alienation because of what we're telling ourselves, what our thoughts tell us, a state of, of um, strong uh, self and otherness, of, of standing outside and looking in, as, as Robin was talking about in the encouragement talk last night. But with having the practice, whether it's the koan or, or the breath or shikantaza, it's like we, ha we have that Aryanitni thread to, to follow back to um, wholeness, healing. Wonderful to have a practice that we can we can turn to. How how wonderful to learn that that doesn't matter what state we're in, what conditions we find ourselves in, that we can practice right there. We can breathe. We can we can uh, bring up the question. We can remind ourselves just this. We can find our way home. 
He continues, do not think that the only benefit of practice is to gain awakening. This is um, such an important thing to understand um, and and it's it's why an excessive sort of uh, emphasis on on um, awakening and alignment can be problematic. It's not like it's some barren slog from here to there, and then when you get there, everything's everything's like paradise and rosy. It's a process. It's a process that starts right now and finishes in this present moment as well. We can have all kinds of of insights along the way in, in our practice. Of, of many different kinds. Psychological insights, um, just, just, just a growing uh, self-awareness, maturity. Or what, what um, Master Dogen calls um, parental mind it's an ability to care to take care of things he also talks about about great great soul which in in Tereo is Manawanui the sense of a of an, um, a broad and encompassing awareness so char- character development or, or perfection can happen through practice if it's sincere. We can become less judgmental, slower to anger, less, like, less likely to act out of our anger, or have it turned into corrosive hatred or resentment. continues when you can use all circumstances as entry points to practice you will have wealth you can use in daily life however please be aware of a kind of false enlightenment where you suddenly feel you have been released and there is nothing more you need to do it is precisely at that point that you should pick up the method so please put all your effort into the practice Zen teachers will will, um, will often be wanting to spur their their students on to not settle for um, small gains, but to to um, go as far as they can go 
they may um, acknowledge, hopefully acknowledge insights that, that do occur, uh, celebrate them, but just encourage the student not to settle just for um, spiritual growth or um, a more manageable mind, you might, you might say. Then teachers like Chen Yin is here will be pointing to um, the great death and the great revival. So not just a kind of developmental change, but uh, this sea change of glimpsing, touching what is prior to the arising of self and other, to, the, to coming and going or birth and death, right and wrong, before and after, all the dualisms. Really, the, the, the Dharma offers us endless opportunities to develop. And, and at the same time, endless opening to what is prior to any kind of development or, or growth. There's a story from the Tibetan tradition about a, um, an old man who is practicing circumambulating um, a monastery, retting monastery, and um, a spiritual teacher called Geshe Drom came and said to him, Sir, I'm happy to see you circumambulating, but wouldn't you prefer to be practicing the Dharma? Thinking this over, the man felt he couldn't cover himself by reading He'd better cover himself by reading some Buddhist scriptures. While he was reading in the temple courtyard, some um, he was reading some temple scriptures, um, Geshe Drom said, I'm happy to see you're reading the Dharma, but wouldn't you be preferred prefer to be practicing it? And this, um, at this the old man thought that the best way to cover himself would be to meditate simple pointedly. He put aside his reading and sat on a cushion, his eyes half closed. Drom said, Good to see you're meditating, but wouldn't you rather be practicing the Dharma? With nothing else left to do, the old man asked, Geshe-la, please, how should I practice the Dharma? When you practice, Drom replied, there is no distinction between the Dharma and your own mind. There's no distinction between the Dharma and your own mind. be able to, to live out of the Dharma. For there to be no outside. Just this. And this.
今天能够做我们也要扩新的教会 passage。In recent times, many literati desire to study this path, yet their hearts are not pure. Their sickness comes from the fact that poison has entered their hearts. When poison enters the heart, you'll be caught up with whatever you encounter. Being caught up with whatever you encounter, your attachment to the view of the self will grow. As the view of the self increases, all you see and hear will be the shortcomings of other people, and you will not be able to take the backward step and briefly examine yourself. Day by day, after leaving my bed in the morning, what of what benefit? What benefit have I brought to myself or others? One who is able to self-examine like this is called a wise person. Senior Coppins comments: This passage speaks of practitioners with acute wits who can quickly size up a situation. This can be a problem if they are not able to discard wandering thoughts while single-mindedly bringing forth the huado. Instead, they may bring forth venom, criticisms, comparisons, jealousy, and so on. Of these people, Darwin says, poison has entered their hearts. And、um, say that these, the, the poison that enters our hearts, and, and all of us have these poisons in our hearts to varying degrees.、Uh, the, the three poisons: greed, hatred, delusion. And these poisons are what warp our, our view of the world. But as as Darwin says, it's particularly an affliction of those with acute wits, people with strong minds, a strong intellect, are often、um, afflicted with、uh, critical mind or, or sceptical doubt. Also, can can be afflictive,、uh, seen as one of the one of the five.、Um, Main obstacles to practice. That who goes on.、Um, oh, sorry, Shengyin. That way says poison has entered their hearts. People with an impure mind see shortcomings, problems, and weaknesses in other people while not examining themselves.、Um, this is this is where there's there's、um, the possibility of、uh, alleviating our suffering if we look into how the role we play in problems. Ajahn Chah, in his very earthy way, puts it like this: A man had an itch on his bum. He scratched his head. The itch never went away. Instead, in Dawei's words, we should ask day by day, after leaving my bed in the morning, 
What benefit have I brought for, to myself or others? This, this question um, helps us to answer what this practice is all about, why, why we do it, what it's for. We may, we may um, sometimes ask, what's the point of practice, Zen practice, if so few people actually experience Satori, and even fewer attain mastery? Well, the point really is giving rise to bodhicitta, which is what this question is is um, reminding us of. What have I? What benefit have I brought to myself or others? Our our. Um, Happiness comes out of benefiting others, which is a way of affirming our interconnectedness. Master Dogen was asked what he brought, what he was bringing back from China, and he said, "A tender heart." One of the things that our practice does is to tenderize us, to soften and melt the hardness in our hearts. It helps to smooth out our rough edges and, and empty us out so we can become vessels of service. Master Shingyan continues, if they can do this and ask themselves this question, they truly have a chance to enter the path. But wallowing in critical thoughts is not how practice works. And this is, um, is often wallowing in critical thoughts about ourselves, self-critical thoughts. Or um, feeling sorry for ourselves. So we, we, we really need to watch out for wallowing, whether it's in self-criticism or vacillating or animosity, blaming. And this is another benefit of, of practice, is that we get a little bit more uh, meta-awareness as we, as we go along so that we can recognize obstructive or afflictive emotions when they come up. And here this meta I'm talking about is spelled with N-E, is spelled N-E-T-A. So um, uh, be able to, to, to stand back and, and, and see patterns. Awareness of awareness. Though, of course, meta with two T's 
is also very valuable here. The, the reason why we have to watch out for wallowing is it can send us into a, in a kind of into a, a vicious cycle of um, reinforcing our sense of self instead of breaking it down. In his in the passage that. Um, Master Ching Yin is quoting, uh, quoting from Da Hui. He says, if you get caught up in whatever you encounter, your attachment to the view of the self will grow. As the view of the self increases, all you see and hear will be the shortcomings of other people, and you will not be able to take the backward step and briefly examine yourself. This, is, this taking the backward step is another way of talking about this meta-awareness. Creating some space around our um, narratives and, and being able to see them as, as narratives, as mental patterns, rather than um, getting lost in them, in cognitive fusion, where we, we believe them and in, and in believing them, in some sense, make them true in terms of their effect on us. Shunyan continues, Darwin's view is in accordance with, with that of the sixth ancestor, Wei Nang, who said that one who is on the path does not see fault in others. What he um, actually said was, uh, when others are in the wrong, I too have transgressed. When I am in the wrong, I alone am to blame. Quite a uh, challenging statement. When others are in the wrong, I too have transgressed. When I am in the wrong, I alone am to blame. So it's 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 this is just a it's like a skillful um, strategy for always taking that backward step, examining oneself, because that's how we can scratch our itch that's where we really have the power to overcome our dukkha he goes on does this mean that we should not respond to wrongs that we see and then he he, he answers this question um by saying, because people do not always perceive things the same way, we need to take care how we respond. Getting people to recognize their faults takes skill. There are times we can raise the issue directly, but other times we have to be circumspect. 
But if we can get people to recognize their errors without being confrontational, that is skillful as well as compassionate. So in answer to his question about does it, um, this mean that we should not respond to the wrongs that we see, um, it's quite the reverse. We, we are sometimes called on to respond. But it's how we respond that really matters. If we really want to reduce suffering, then it's not just a matter of, of lashing out and, and doing something maybe that just reinforces the, the situation, but, but being able to, to relate to others skillfully so that they can, they can hear what we have to say. And that could be just to another individual or it could be uh, standing up for some injustice in the, in the wider society. How to do that skillfully. And this brings us back to our working on ourselves. How can we channel our, our anger at injustice? So that it doesn't, so that it's effective and doesn't create more suffering, suffering on top of suffering. He says, if we can get people to recognise their errors without being confrontational, that is skillful as well as compassionate. Um, I thought uh, reading reading this of uh, the story of uh, St. Francis of Assisi and um, the wolf of Gubbio. Some of you may know this story. It's a, it's a famous one. Um, and this, this happened around um, 1220 in Italy. So... Um, only a little bit later than when Da Hui and, and Hong Zhou were flourishing. There was this um, uh, fierce wolf uh, that lived in the, in the uh, forest outside the town of Gubbio and it started off just attacking livestock but then um, it, it grew bold and graduated to actually attacking um, humans and eventually also um, eating them. It was known for lingering outside the city gates and wait for anyone foolish enough to venture beyond the gates alone. And it seemed to the people of the town that the, that um, it was invincible, this wolf. There were attempts made to to um, kill it, but um, the the people making the attempts didn't survive the effort, but were um, devoured by the wolf. Eventually, the mere sight of the animal caused the ent this entire city to um, enter a state of panic, and people were... Um, refusing to go outside the walls of the city for any reason at all. Gubbio was sort of under siege from this, this fierce wolf, rogue wolf. And 
uh, at this point, when this, this, the city was in a state of panic, St. Francis announced that he was going to go out and meet the wolves. He, people implored him not to go, but he was um, set on doing this and, and exited the, 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 through one of the gates of the city with a few of his followers and um, uh, proceeded to the, the, the wolf's lair. Um, his followers at, at, at a certain point um, lost their nerve and, and um, removed themselves to a, a safe dist distance and, and Francis continued um, to the, the, the wolf's um, cage, cave. And when the wolf saw Francis, it, it rushed at him, jaws bared. And Francis just stood his ground. And then to everybody's surprise, it, it stopped bearing its, bearing its teeth and, and just slowly approached St. Francis, trotting up to him, and then lay down at his feet and put his head in his hands. At this point, Francis must have been, been sitting on the ground, the, the, the wolf's level. And here's, here's one version of what St. Francis was supposed to have said to the wolf at this point. Brother Wolf, thou hast done much evil in this land, destroying and killing the creatures of God without his permission. Yea, not animals only hast thou destroyed, but thou hast even dared to devour men, made after the image of God, for which thing thou art worthy of being hanged like a robber or a murderer. All men cry out against thee, the dogs pursue thee, and all the inhabitants of the city are thy enemies. But I will make peace with between them and thee, O brother wolf, if thou so no more offend them, and they shall forgive thee all thy past offences, and neither men nor dogs shall pursue thee any more. And this the, the wolf is said to have bowed his head, um, uh, promising to, to desist. But what what's, what we can um, see in this story is the power of a, of a of a heart that is at peace. The power of a heart that has um, faced its own hunger, its own fears. And there's an energy that comes from this, that animal sense. You can imagine this wolf has many times uh, overcome its victims with, with, um, with their, because of their fear, intimidating them and then sensing that smell of fear 
and going in for the kill. But no, no, no sense of, no smell of fear was, was emanating from Francis. He just stood his ground. In fact, sat down on the ground. Came, at, came to that wolf at ground level as a brother. Peacemaking is an art. Facing hatred is an art, one that most of us desperately need to learn. Not only did, did St. Francis get the wolf to agree to not keep on eating people but he made a promise to him as thou art willing to make this peace I promise thee that thou shalt be fed every day by the inhabitants of this land so long as thou shalt live among them thou shalt no longer suffer hunger hunger, as it is hunger which has made thee do so much evil but if I obtain all this for thee thou must promise on thy side never again to attack any animal or any human being. Dost thou make this promise? The people of Gubbio weren't so so keen on this. You could say they were pretty dubious, actually. But um, Saint, Saint Francis insisted and he, when he returned into the town, he gave a, a, an impromptu sermon uh, with the tame wolf sitting at his feet. And you can imagine that with the wolf there, people would be, be paying attention to what he was saying. He said, um, How much we ought to dread the jaws of hell if the jaws of so small an animal as a wolf can make a whole single city tremble through fear. And then he, he is said to have renewed his pact with the wolf publicly, assuring it that the people of Gubbio would feed it from their very doors if it ceased its depredations. And once more the wolf placed its paw in Francis's hand. So skillfully, Francis manages to, to bring the wolf in to the city so it's no longer circling around on the on the outside that's what we we're all seeking to find is a, a way in a way out of our alienation And to the degree that to the degree that we have have really encountered our own alienation, are overcome it. To that degree, we can help others to do the same. 
we can we can find uh, skillful ways to to feed our wolves to uh, coexist with them to assuage our hungers To, to find true peace, not just in our hearts, but in our lives and in our communities. the last final final piece of this um, discourse of dark ways Master Zhao Zhou once said as for this old monk besides the two meal times of the day when he uses his mind in a complex manner there are no other occasions where it requires his mind to be complicated that's the quote from Master Zhao Zhou you may wonder where this old fellow, fellow is at. If you can recognize his original face, then you can say such things like walking is Chan, sitting is Chan, whether talking, silent, active or still, everything is at peace. If you are unable to be like this, then you better at all times take the backward step and carefully examine that which is under your feet. It is really possible to really know, is it really possible to know a person's strengths or weaknesses or to judge whether he or she is an ordinary person or a saint whether things are truly existent or empty pushing and exhausting the self-investigation from one situation to the next until there's nowhere you can drive this questioning like a mouse getting stuck on the horn of a bull suddenly you must sever this cunning mind this is the state where all things will solidify a place where you can return home and finally sit firmly in peace. Finally, firmly sit in peace. And then Master Xing Yun says, Dang Wei quotes Master Zhao Zhou, who says that aside from the two meal times a day, he has no need to use his mind in a complex manner. We should not think that Zhao Zhou is not mindful when he is eating. That is not the meaning here. And certainly it is not the same as poison entering one's heart. It is just that he is aware of what he is eating and is mindful of it. This runs against conventional thinking. If you can be single-minded all day, why should eating be complicated? But we should not be tricked by Master Zhao Zhou. Just like his saying that a dog does not have Buddha nature. So if, like me, you don't understand it, you can just use it as a gongan and investigate it. So rather than explaining explaining what 
what this the statement of Zhao Zhou's is um, about. Master Ching Yin is inviting us to take it up and investigating it. Investigate it. Why? Because we can ex- maybe explain Master Zhao's, Zhao Zhou's state of mind, but the whole point is to realize that state of mind, to um, experience it for ourselves. Dahui says, you may wonder where this old fellow, fellow is at, and goes on to say that if someone can meet Zhao Zhou face to face and testify to the Master's realization of his original face, then such a person is allowed to say, eating is Chan, walking is Chan, standing is Chan, lying down is Chan. To really, to really know what that means when we when we eat or walk or stand or lie down. Surely, it is a difficult state to attain where you can hold on to the method without straying from your original face. Such a person would be enlightened and in accord with awakened mind. If you cannot be like this, then you should reflect on how you are carrying yourself throughout the day. What have you done that is of use to yourself or others? If you can't find anything, then you had better investigate Chan, because how can we know what other people are like? How can we assess other, assess other people's strengths and weaknesses? Who are we to say that other people are saints or sages or just ordinary people, and whether or not they have gotten it? So engaging in this kind of self-reflection is what a practitioner should do. However, if you allow poison to enter your heart by being very critical, assessing and judging other people's goodness and shortcomings, then it is like cornering yourself on the point of an ox's horn. This is a Chan saying, meaning there is no way out. Cornering yourself like that is certainly not practice. So as soon as you discover that poison has entered your heart, immediately cut off this cunning mind, this mind of a thief. When you can truly cut off this cunning mind, then it will be like returning home to your original place where you can firmly rest at peace. We'll stop here and recite the four vows. All beings without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all beings without number. I vow to liberate 
Endless blind passions I vow to uproot. Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to penetrate. The great way of Buddha I vow to attain. The teaching you have received is offered freely. If you would like to make a donation to support the continuation of this podcast service or learn more about practice opportunities at the Auckland Zen Centre, please visit www.aucklandzen.org.nz.